Welcome to the Body Smart Book Club where we talk about the best of what we read. Today we're going over chapters six and seven in Training for the Uphill Athlete and it's all about strength training. We're really excited about this chapter. Before we get going with things, Preston's going to tell us a little bit about what he's training for right now. Yeah, so I mentioned in our last video that I've been taking up this challenge to see how much vert, vertical climbing I can do out on the trails this month. Sounds like cool. What you and, call uh, vert? Totally. Yeah, that's like the... That. Uh, <laughs> The hipster way of saying it. So, so we'll call it Vert because um, we're cool people. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's this pretty big competition is put on by the Cirque Series. Obviously, their original events were canceled this year because of the coronavirus. And so they wanted to get all the athletes that otherwise would have been competing in those events and see how much who could do the most climbing in a single month. And so um, my original goal was to do about 4,000 to 4,500 a day. But uh, after day one, I quickly realized that uh, good friend uh, Noah down in Salt Lake City is going to be doing a lot more than that every day. And so I had to up kind of what I was doing as well. So um, in the last six days, I've done 39,000 feet of climbing, something like that. Um, and to say that my legs are sore is a very big understatement because uh, I essentially those days is the most first just around the most for I've ever done in a single day, every single day for the last week. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> and so I was just overly tired for uh, the first three days for sure. I'm starting to get a little bit back more on my feet right now. That's but it's good. been like 14 to 15 miles a day with uh, six, seven, eight thousand feet of vert each day. As wow. Well. So it's, it's awesome. been a pretty wild last few days. And believe it or not, I'm actually like in fourth place. And there's some pretty competitive athletes in the wow. competition. <laughs> Uh, Noah, the guy I mentioned previously, is just around five thousand or fifty thousand feet right now. Oh, um, my he's just gosh. absolutely been crushing it, and so uh, <laughs> um, to put that into context, like I've been going up and down Francis Peak like twice twice a day. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh! It's been like uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a different focus than I've ever done, and it's been uh, pretty pretty tough. Um, still got a few weeks to go. Um, when you guys watch this, it'll probably be a little bit further into the challenge, but. Uh, um, it's going to be a fun month. Wow. I'm sure. so happy you're doing this. This is so fun. <laughs> I'm so glad you're it's, doing this and not me. Yeah. But also really cool, yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's tough for sure. So uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how I hold up over the next few weeks. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, keep us updated. That's yeah. really exciting. Do you Definitely feel like you've implemented do. a lot of things from this book and in, in this training? Do you um, feel like it's helped? Yes and no. Um, I think a lot of these things were kind of staples in my training Already. leading up to this point. Um, obviously, with the amount of focus that I have on running and trail running in particular, mm-hmm. um, it's been reassuring to read this book and you know see that a lot of the stuff that I have been doing is pretty standard and scientifically very sound in creating a good athlete for running in the mountains. Um, and there's obviously been a few things in here that... Uh, have really changed the way I do things, but I wouldn't mm. say that I've added anything drastically different in my training. Okay. So. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Well, give us update on that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, we're going to jump in here. Chapter six, strength training. Yeah. So okay. I think like this, We've talked about strength training through basically every uh, <laughs> like series, like, like every book that we've read so far. Mm-hmm. But I, this chapter, like I, I love them for putting this chapter in the book mm-hmm. because this is huge. This is a huge, huge um, uh, concept that that really is should be built into every uh, every runner's program, and it's one that's often neglected. And there's a couple of different reasons why this kind of is, is put to the wayside that, that are understandable, but really ultimately don't, uh, don't stack up as good excuses when, when we look at what the benefits of strength training um, can provide in terms of performance and um, just kind of staying well. Um, and so I guess, I don't know, one of the myths that, that we hear a lot, right, um, and this is one that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier mm-hmm. is if I add strength training in, like, I'm just going to get too bulky, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I think that's, I don't know how many times I've heard that from different runners. I'm, I'm sure Huge. that's been like. Yeah. Everyone I talk to, even the collegiate athletes, people that are, 
um, viewed as like the top of the sport, you know, um, have this misconception that, oh, I can't go in the weight room and lift heavy, heavy in particular, but lifting uh, um, is kind of the baseline there that uh, they think they're going to bulk up. For Definitely. sure. They even mention that in this chapter. They say, you know, be careful about bulking up because then you have to carry all the extra muscle weight with you. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that idea in theory, like it makes sense, right? This idea of um, kind of strength to weight ratio, right? And, and in terms of endurance too, right? If there is a lot of extra bulk, there's going to be a metabolic cost when you're running. And so you're not going to have like you know, someone who's maybe a little bit, uh, you know, uh, less, has a little bit less mass on them, but still is strong is, is going to ultimately be able to like perform better than someone who's like put it on a lot of extra uh, muscle bulk. Mm -hmm. The reason that this doesn't end up being, uh, much of a big deal is it's really what type of strength, a couple factors, but what type of strength training are we doing? When we're thinking about I think the image most of us get when we think about strength training is just kind of the bros in the gym, right? Like, oh man, packing on as much muscle as I can. And really, uh, a lot of times the aesthetic perspective, right? I got to have the big pecs, I got to have the abs, I got to have the big arms, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really a difference between training for force production, force development qualities versus hypertrophy. And so the type of strength training that we recommend, uh, while it ultimately we want to get to the place where we're doing uh, higher loads it's ultimately lower lower rep um, and so that trends more towards the size of uh, more towards the aim of developing strength right producing maximal force being able to produce power versus those hypertrophy components there's also um, what we see borne out in the literature is that there's this interference effect that occurs with when strength training and endurance training are combined, right? When we're combining our lifting with our running is, and we don't totally know what causes it, but, but apparently some, some interference effect in the signaling pathways that go more towards hypertrophy. Um, and, and so that <laughs> no, that doesn't like totally, but I probably didn't put it as concisely as I could, but, but really that if you're running and you're strength training, there's going to be an interference effect. And so while you still get the strength benefits of strength training, the hypertrophy adaptations are going to be very minimal because of that. Um, and so I think that's, that's an important concept to bring in is that lifting while you're running is not going to necessarily add a lot of extra bulk, especially when you're keeping up good nutrition, right? Part of the hypertrophied side of things is also the nutrition side of things. And we're increasing the amount of protein. We're increasing the amount of calories overall to add on that mass, which isn't, again, it's, it's a different goal. It's a different aim than what we're getting with typical endurance training. Yeah. So basically if you're running all the time and you're lifting two or three times a week, don't worry about bulking up. Females especially don't worry about bulking up. What we're saying is if you're going to be a crazy weightlifter and you're taking supplements and you're lifting all day, every day, then you go try to run a marathon. It's not going to work. Yeah. It comes back to that uh, strength versus weight ratio. Obviously uh, there's a happy medium that you want to be able to meet there. Um, keeping it uh, if you're on the polar ends of that, obviously, if you're going to be no extra strength at all, or if you're going to be, you know, a bodybuilder, um, you're going to have adverse effects to your running. But uh, sticking in the middle, even if there's a little bit of weight gain in the long run, is going to be a beneficial thing. Um, whether it's because of the extra strength you have there or uh, just maintaining a, a healthy body weight. Um, and as far as being able to bulk up in that way, like you mentioned with the nutrition, um you can't create matter out of nothing. Um, and so if, if you aren't um, yes. in an excess with your calories, there's no way you're going to get more muscle. Um, and so on the flip side, obviously, you don't want to be in the negative balance either because um, then you won't be recovering properly. Um, but just make sure you're fueling and eating the correct amount of calories to be able to adapt to the workloads you're doing um, is very important there. Yes. Oh, I just I love that idea, right? Like, load management and like life management, <laughs> taking the necessary steps to make sure that, that we're managing all those things in such a way that it bears out in our performance. And, and so, yeah, both. Oh yeah. I love Yeah. You put that. that, that that's our quote mm. of the day right there. That's always <laughs> swinging through with those awesome like sound bites. I love mm. that. I also just want to reiterate what you said about 
being okay if you gain a, uh, a pound or two. I think this is mostly for female runners. I've been in the same place where you're like, oh shoot, I'm trying to lose mm-hmm. weight. I want to look good or I want to be light so I can run fast. It's okay to gain a few pounds. You don't want to yeah. sacrifice. Um, you don't want to lose too much weight and have that hurt your performance. It's better to have a few extra pounds and better performance. Yeah, definitely. Sure. So I guess one of the concepts that we want to bring in, they talked about was this idea of general strength versus specific strength. Um, really general straight kind of of let's improve the overall base and capacity of the system as a whole. And then let's include sport specific things um, that will help us to kind of turn that dial up on, on, on sport specific, specific performance. I can say words, I promise. Specific. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, and so this is, is the big thing. So one thing that Preston said that I want to highlight again is this idea of that strength to weight ratio, like the idea that even if we do put on a little bit more weight, ultimately the benefits that we have from that in terms of increased strength far outweigh any negative effects on our running economy, running capacity, et cetera. And so this idea of building general strength is really important to me. Honestly, really everyone could benefit from a strength training program, whether you're a runner or not. Um, the American Cad- or the American College of Sports Medicine recommends about two to three training sessions of strength training a week, six to eight exercises hitting all the major muscles, muscle groups, really focusing on that general, general strength. So we talked a couple weeks ago about the importance of building the aerobic base um, to be able to add in that moderate and high-intensity sport-specific training um, to be able to perform at our peak level, but like without building that aerobic base, right? Without that strong wide base to stand on, all the other training is really ineffective. And so I think kind of that same concept can be applied to building that general strength, right? We have this base capacity, um, on top of which we can build. And that's one of the reasons that I believe that specific strength is really important is because just this idea that we talked about earlier of the envelope of function, right? That, our tissues have a certain amount of capacity within them. Um, and when we start going over that capacity again and again, that's kind of where that, those, those overuse injuries uh, develop. And so the idea is if we can increase that capacity, increase the reserve that our muscles have, um, then they can be subjected to a lot more load before breaking down, right? A lot more load, um, before having to worry about some of those injury, overuse things. And so developing strength, uh, developing a, a solid strength training routine that goes throughout our seasons of training, I think is really important from a, from a perspective of building that capacity, right? Um, that we build in excess of what's going to be required at any one event. Um, and so these are going to be your basic lifts, right? Your hinge, your squat, your push, your pull, um, those basic movements that use the, you know, the really big muscle groups that, that keep us moving, um, that end up keeping, you know, the, these ones are really important, I think, for um, keeping tendons, joints, et cetera, healthy. And the book talks about these general strength training um, exercises is more of like a segue into this specific um, strength training, which is in the book they refer to it as like, you know, things like hill sprints um, hill bounds, um, and different things like that are more like, um, biomechanically the same as distance running or trail running. Um, and we had a little bit of a a disagreement (laughs) there with, uh, with how they put their focus and in their mind, it was more like, okay, we do the general strength and then we kind of evolve that into the specific training and, more or less leave the general strength alone um, for a certain period of time. And in my mind, this general strength is so important. I mean, I don't think it's something that uh, can be left off of any complete training plan just because it has such a profound effect on our ability to stay healthy and our ability to exert a certain amount of force. Um, And one of the quotes that it says here in the book is that 
an endurance athlete usually utilizes up to 25% of their max strength when they're doing their endurance event. Um, and obviously you can't raise that a whole bunch or else you'd be more working that zone four, zone five, um, for an ultra distance event, which would be a pretty painful affair. Um, and so it's <laughs> yeah, a good um, way to put it. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be so Essentially, you know, but if we can raise that 100% effort higher up, 25% also moves along with it. And so we can exert more force over over the span of our training. Um, and so I would love to hear your thoughts more on, uh, you know, yeah. that general strength versus specific strength and uh, how you'd tackle that more. Yeah. So I'll, I'll hit it from a couple different ways. One is this idea of really what we're calling strength training and that is building the force capacity of the muscles again the the max rate of force production and the rates of force development versus muscular endurance right which is training the qualities of those muscles that allow them to um you know keep cycling through repeated load as we have in running and so that running specific training right that uh, those hill bounds those sprinting while that does have some effect on strength, I wouldn't really call it a strength workout, right? Really, the focus of that is more on building muscular endurance. So, Rich Willie, I'd invite you to check out, um, there's a couple of uh, articles so uh, that were put out through the British Journal of Sports Medicine uh, going over some common running myths. And, and here, so this is uh, Alexander Barton and Willie. Um, uh, but one of the statements that they make in... In this one, so this one's specifically, this one's called running myth. Strength training should be high repetition, low load to improve running for performance. So we'll talk about that aspect a little bit later. But he said improvements in muscular endurance are achieved specifically by running and should not be the goal of a strength training program. And so I think that's this kind of difference in definition that we had between uh, the the book and and. Um, what the book said and kind of how we see things um, is that really the idea of the strength program should be developed to develop that um, the force production capacity and that will leave those muscular endurance things again for the sport specific training. One thing that I really liked that the book said about that um, that I thought was a really good point. So it said, um, okay. So doing very heavy and slow movement in a semi-specific strength exercise like a single box step is a great way to build general strength in those muscles. But at some point in your progression, you need to transfer that box step strength into a specific exercise like hill sprints. So this next sentence is the important part. The speed of muscle contraction is much faster, and those motor neurons need to be trained to produce the sport-specific movement pattern and contraction speed, and not just slow strength. So that really is the benefit of those sport-specific workouts, right? That you're developing those motor patterns that you're going to be using during training and during race day, and that really can't be accomplished through strength training alone. Right? That's why we need both mm-hmm. of them, because you're just you're you're with both your running workouts and your strength training workouts, you're helping to bridge and combine those gaps so that you're not left with these uh, spaces where you're lacking in, in any strength and any capacity in, in, in endurance, right? That's going to affect your performance. The other point that I want to make about kind of general strength during specific strength, and this is a little bit less going along with the book, with what the book said, but in, in terms of like sometimes needing to train specific mus- musculature, so again, I love those gross movements like the squats, the deadlifts, um, you know, your bench press, things like that. Um, your your muscles being able to work together in, in multi-joint exercises, I think is important. And it really hits those major muscle, muscle groups. But I do think there also needs to be specific focus on certain areas of, of the body as well. Um, one thing that's definitely got a lot more airtime recently is is hip workouts, right? Which I, I do think are really important, right? Um, not just, uh, I'm going to stand up for this. Um, so not just, you know, working on things that are going to affect our kind of straight plane movements, that sagittal plane, but also that, um, that work in, in other planes, right? So in your, um, sorry, my brain broke, um, in your frontal plane movements, your transverse plane movements, right? Rotation. Um, all those are important because we're not always moving in, in, in a straight plane, right? Even though we're running in a straight plane, we have the movements of the pelvis to deal with, right? And we want to keep a solid mm-hmm. base from which to produce our movements. Um, 
But the other big thing, and, and, and I think this is becoming a bigger focus, but still often neglected, is uh, specific training for the calf musculature. So when we're walking, uh, the calf muscle is responsible for about 73-75% of, of the torque that's helping to move us forward. And running that drops a little bit, but it's still a really high contribution, right? So it's about between like 50 and 55% of, of that contribution. And so a lot of times our focus is like the quads and the hips, um, but I think specific single joint exercises for the calf muscle, training both of the, um, the muscles that make up that, that calf complex, right? The gastroc and the soleus, specific training, single joint for those um, to really maximize um, the strength and capacity that we have in those muscles will go a long way in uh, helping us to perform and to sustain the loads that we endure during distance running. The calf is one that's, you know, within my own training plan that I find uh, to be very misunderstood, at least among the broad general public within running. Um, Usually people will suffice with just doing like calf raises or something like that. But like you said, there's two major muscles that make up your calf muscle and they both have very specific functions. Um, The most outer muscle on your calf, your gastrocnemius, um, is one that runs all the way up to your femur. Um, and is bigger out of the two muscles there. And then the smaller one that's just underneath that muscle is your soleus and connects on the back of your tibia. So essentially when you're doing a straight knee calf raise, the bigger muscle, the one that connects up on your femur, is going to be doing the primary movement there. And that soleus muscle, which is actually one that's more utilized when we're running because most of the time our knees are bent when we're running, um, is kind of missed there. So... Um, making sure we're able to hit both of those and hitting that soleus more by doing a calf raise or using a machine that allows you to have that flexion in your ankle when your knee is bent is really important in making sure that you're strengthening the whole calf and not just um, that single muscle on the outside. Um, When I start to think about these specific strength workouts, um, I more see, at least in the book's perspective, that is more like plyometric exercises. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. things that we're doing and we get back to this that general strength i think we can still move those to be more specific um yeah. so things like your deadlifts you know maybe you have that uh where you have your stance phase and running your one leg um maybe morphing those into being more of a single leg deadlift mm-hmm. um, where you're working on those balancing muscles as well as um a similar type of load that you would have when you're in that stance phase of running as well. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for, for bringing that up because again, you talked about soleus is going to be super active because the knees bent a lot. And then also like running is basically a series of, of single leg hops, right? So having that single leg strength, having that single leg control down is super important. So I love the idea of, of adding in some single, single leg stuff. I think also things like, you know, you can kind of do, um, you can do like a lunge into a box step up, right? Yeah. Kind of keep the arms going up too, right? To mimic some of the some of the motions of running, so that again you're kind of bridging that gap from running from that general strength to running specific movements. But I love I love hitting that point of of really focusing on the single leg control as well. Super important. Yeah. You guys, I'm just soaking this up. <laughs> Thanks. What educational episode! I love this. <laughs> I hope whoever's listening to this, I hope you're soaking this up too, because it's good stuff. So now that we've talked about general strength and specific strength, let's talk about how we throw this into a program. They didn't necessarily talk about this in the book, but I want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So Preston, I was wondering if you could tell us about how you fit strength training into your running program. Definitely, yeah. Um, Well, I'll start off by saying that... Our goal, at least my goal here, is to become a better runner with my strength training. Um, Defining what your goal is for strength training is very important in how you're going to incorporate it into your training plan. Um, As a distance runner and as an athlete, running is my primary focus. And so the runs and my speed workouts, those kind of things, are my focus. And so I don't... um, do strength training at the expense of losing training within my running. Um, and so that always comes first. Um, but as I'm doing my strength training and planning out how I'm going to incorporate this throughout the week, I try to hit strength training about two or three times a week. Um, and during those strength training 
uh, stints, I generally am focusing on a holistic view. I don't think it's wise to only focus on certain muscle groups. I think it's good, even as a runner, to have just a a well-balanced body that's strong all the way from your feet up to the top of your head. Um, Just because there are efficiencies that you can gain from having a a strong core, some strong arms as well. There's still that that strength aspect, especially with trail running, that, uh, you know, when you get into like a power hiking type phase that you're using your arms as well and making sure that you have that power. Um, and so don't neglect certain muscle groups because quote unquote, you think that, um, it doesn't fit the runner stereotype. Um, having a holistic view to your training plan is super important. Um, and then my goal within my training is to hit max weight and low reps. Um, I'm more working that explosive anaerobic energy system as opposed to doing more tons of reps and low weight. Um, I liked how they put it in our previous book we read, Primal Endurance, that uh, essentially when we're doing these high rep, low weight, it's essentially just the same thing we're doing when we're out running. You know, we're doing thousands Mm -hmm. of reps for every step, uh, for each step in, in our runs and um, if we're just doing that again in the weight room, our gains from that are going to be very minimal because that system is already very well trained from our running. Um, and so focusing on having that high weight and low reps and knowing that you have to work into that. So Melody yeah, brought up a great important. point before as well that, uh, you know, how do I start incorporating this into my running? Like I find that when I start running, uh, or when I start lifting with my running, I get so sore that my running takes a hit and I feel like I'm going backwards. Um, one, understanding that uh, training isn't linear. So there is going to be a little bit of backslide there because you're um, going to be having this soreness effect and having a little more pain and a little bit more tired than you're used to, but your body will adapt to that. But at the same time, not jumping headfirst in and knowing that you uh, you shouldn't go straight to lifting max weight, yeah. you know, kind of phase into it by still doing two to three times a week of lifting so that you can get, um, the adaptations that are needed to be able to progress to that point, but maybe doing a little bit lighter weight, um, so that your body can at least get used to, okay, like I know what this is. I'm familiar with this so that when you do get into those heavy lifting training blocks, um, your body isn't shocked. Um, and then I, I incorporate these strength training, uh, sessions on my hard days, um, essentially, um, to polarize my training, have my hard days really hard and have my easy days really easy. Um, just making sure that, uh, you're still getting that recovery because oftentimes when you start to add in all these different things, your strength training, your specific, uh, strength, your speed workouts, your long runs, all these different things. Um, you start to lose the ability to have days to recover. There's a lot going on there. And so the way you structure all those different things within your training plan is super important. And uh, one of the mistakes that I see as a coach and as an athlete is that athletes frame their training plans over these arbitrary numbers of days or hours or months or years. These things are not indicators of perfect time frames to be able to get everything in. Seven days isn't a magical number. Um, if you feel like um, a week isn't long enough to fit in all the different training stimuluses that you need as an athlete, um, I like to base my training off of like a 10-day week per se. Um, so that it's it's easier to fit everything in, but you're still recovering because ultimately like um, all of your training is for not if you're not able to um, recover from everything. Yeah. I love that idea because... I can think back to lots of times where maybe I did some really hard workouts over the weekend, rested on Sunday, and now it's Monday. I probably still need to rest, but I'm like, oh, but it's a new week. I can get my high intensity in at the beginning of the week and do my low intensity later, but I didn't take in consideration that I just had a really hard workout two days Mm -hmm. ago because it's the beginning of a new week. So I really like the idea of spreading it out. Yeah. Yeah, and this is like a bit of a, a tangent a little bit on that, but uh, I was talking with Dr. Garber, a physical therapist uh, here at Body Smart, that uh, 
we were talking about the idea of a rolling week as far as like keeping track of our training as opposed to like blocks of like this is how much mileage I did this week, this is how much strength training I did this week. And that uh, every day, so it's a Tuesday or Tuesday or a Monday, whatever day it is for when you're taking tabs on your training, but um, keeping in mind the seven days up till that day. Um, I mean, you look at your Strava, you yeah. you look at your mileage on Monday, it's at zero. It's like, oh, I can do a hard workout today. I've run zero miles this week. <laughs> but in reality, like, oh, yesterday I did a 15-mile run straight up a mountain. Um, and so keeping track of, okay, um, on a Monday, I have had seven days leading up till now. I am at X amount of miles. And my average per seven-day period is this much. Um, I probably shouldn't do more than that for my training today because I want to stay within that range as opposed to looking at um, a Monday to Sunday uh, scope of your training. Yeah. I really like that idea of kind of being able to take a look back and take a bird's eye view of, of what your training mm-hmm. looks like. I think that's actually a fan, but that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's a fantastic idea. And really just, I think putting in the effort to reflect on what you're doing rather than just kind of like blindly pursuing a course is always going to be beneficial in the long run mm-hmm. um, and more healthy to your your body. I love the idea that you brought up of, of making sure that that recovery gets in because, yeah, I mean, I think that like rigidly sticking to it has to be this, the, these really arbitrary blocks mm-hmm. of time, if we just stick religiously to, to them, may end up hampering our training. So being able to be flexible and maybe trying out a couple different things, you know, maybe a week does work for you, maybe 10 days works for you, you know, maybe these, you know, uh, different kind of cycles work better for different bodies. And I think being able to take the time and try that out and, and maybe fail, right? Like maybe you backslide a little bit, but that's still valuable because you learn what doesn't work. And then you can test something else and find out maybe this does work. Maybe this doesn't work. Right. I think just applying the scientific process to your training can be really effective for giving you um, data-driven and reliable results in the long term. I think by looking at it that way too, it's easier to be softer with yourself. For example, maybe you have 10 days of pretty hard workouts, and that includes the first couple days of, of the week. And so the rest of the week, you take it really, really easy. But then if you just look at that seven-day block, it looks like, oh, I've hardly ran any miles this week. Mm-hmm. So I feel like by looking at it that way, it's easier to, like I said, be softer with yourself and to not beat yourself up for maybe not doing as many miles. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, looking at that 10-day period that we kind of talked about there um, and then taking into account, you know, this 80-20, tra- 80-20 training we've been talking about where 80% of your uh, training should be easy and 20% should be hard. Um, you know, that's only two out of 10 days that should be, you know, this, I'm doing a speed workout, I'm lifting, um, I'm doing these things that, uh, are going to be, take a heavier toll on the body. Um, so it kind of puts in perspective, you know, how much of this block of time, um, should be that easy training. Um, and not to say that, uh, you're skipping out on things, but it shouldn't be like a maximal effort those days. Yeah. There was, um, so kind of speaking to that, like of, of, splitting up that training. I like that, you know, we've talked so much about 80-20 in terms of like low intensity to, to high intensity. Um, there was also, um, so this was Chris Johnson and Nathan Carlson. There's a podcast called The Runner's Own Podcast. Chris Johnson, um, in terms of like running specific workouts, um, awesome guy to check out Instagram, um, Twitter. Anyway, recommend him. I, I love watching his stuff. But they suggested looking at strength training the same way um, in terms of 80% of training should be redo- devoted specifically to running and then 20% devoted to strength training. And so, again, it's not going to be the majority of the workout, right? Like you said before, the focus is to improve running performance. Um, it's not hypertrophy. It's not aesthetics. It's I want to be a better runner. And so um, a couple of ways that they suggested adding that in, um, and I, I want to know what your thoughts are. Because one thing I, I, I like you said is that you kept it all together on your hard day, but you allowed enough time for recovery between sessions. And that's really what they say here. They said, um, so uh, ritually again, I, I love this guy. I, I read a lot of his stuff. <laughs> um, so he suggested um, uh, a couple things. So he said, um, people who struggle to set aside time for like a couple times a week for 30 minutes, 
might find that it's easier to build training blocks into the weekly training cycle um, of like five to 10 minutes of those strength exercises. Um, and then another thing that he said, and, and this is speaking to the point that I just made, is um, a well-planned program should not negatively impact other running sessions, which is so true, right? I think that's something that we can't stress enough. Um, while, like you said, there might be a backside initially, ultimately the goal is to improve our overall running performance. They said, careful programming should allow at least three hours recovery after high intensity running before completing strength training and at least 24 hours recovery after strength training before high intensity running session is scheduled. So I think that's great, right? Like we have that high intensity day, you get that, you know, those sprint workouts, those hill workouts, et cetera, et cetera, give a little bit of time for your body to rest and recover, but still able to, to perform those strength training routines in that day and kind of group those goals into into those separate days so that it still fits within the training plan yeah and i think there's a mental aspect too to having your strength training on the same day as your hard workouts um more or less simulating that feeling and that fatigue that you have at the end of a hard race um being able to put out a maximal effort lifting weights after doing a speed workout is pretty tough and it's it's replicating the same physiological effects that you get at the end of a race when your body's beaten up yet um, your competition is going by and you really got to pick it up. Um, and so being able to do that strength training after kind of trains your mind that way as well, that uh, you can push yourself further, you can keep going, um, you're stronger than you think you are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that's, yeah, like not only the physical benefits, but the mental benefits as well. Like, yeah, that's, that's an awesome point to bring out. So would you guys say it'd be beneficial to switch that up? So some days have a hard running workout and lift weights and then switch it up. So some days you have an easy run and then your heavy weights. Or do you feel like it's good to just batch it together and always do your hard run and your weights mm -hmm. together? I think it depends. I think it depends, again, like Preston said, what are the goals that you're looking to accomplish? What happens to your body and what happens to you mentally, right? Mm -hmm. Person to person, we're going to be able to handle different loads um, and we each have different time demands, right? And so like really for you to be able to accomplish the goals that you're trying to reach with training, it kind of has to be designed the way that it's designed to, to really make sense for your life and, and for your time budget. Yeah. And it depends on how long you have for each uh, micro cycle that you have going on. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, a 5k, 10k athlete in college, it's um, running twice every day um, throughout the entire week and they're doing two speed workouts in a long run. Um, you know, that's already Tuesday hard, Thursday hard, Saturday long. Um, and so if you were to do those strength workouts on the days in between, on the easy days, it would really be like Tuesday hard, Wednesday hard, Thursday <laughs> hard, Friday hard, long run Saturday. Yeah. Um, whereas like if you're looking at like more of a marathoning training plan, you know, maybe they have like one speed workout throughout the week and then a long run on the weekend, you could probably get away with doing your strength training on one of the days in between because it wouldn't be just six successive days of just hard workouts over and over and over. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just one other point that I, I wanted to bring up, and this is specific to that high rep, um, uh, or sorry, high weight. Oh my, I misspoke. Not the high rep, low load, <laughs> high load, low repetition training. So one, again, that's really one of the best ways to, to produce, to, to train our bodies to be able to produce maximum force, which again, we want to have that reserve built up just so that we have more to dip into throughout the run. But also, like you said, so at the end of the run, when things are tough, we can hit into that power and, and you know, get that last finish, get that PR, you know, get past all the people that are in front of us right at the end point, right? Which, which, which can feel really good. But um, in terms of um, bone strength, bone density, that high load is, is important and low repetitions. So... Um, we talked about it on another episode of the podcast, Rich Willie, again, love this guy, um, <laughs> talked about the idea of like having the runners, having the bones of a basketball player, right. Being able to, um, handle, uh, you know, handle those, those high loads. Um, but also the high load, oh, oh, sorry. Also bone, um, it responds to that high load, but after only a few repetitions, 
like basically it gets bored. <laughs> um, and so you're not seeing like those adaptations happening when you're like progressively increasing reps. Um, again, high load and uh, fewer repetitions also have a benefit in terms of tendon stiffness, which is important for um, tendon health and, and performance as well and kind of mitigating some of the, the uh, risk factors um, that, that may uh, lead to overuse injuries. So I think, I think both of those things are really important to include. Um, and then, again, reiterating the point of not just jumping into a high-load, low-repetition training program because, again, it's going to be a shock to the body, and we don't want to just, you know, rocket past the capacity that our body has. So in any, uh, when we begin any strength training program, really the, the first four to six weeks anyway are, are uh, really mostly neurological changes, right? Basically improving the brain-muscle connection. And so we want to establish good patterns of movement while we're training those muscle neural patterns. And so one of the uh, effects of kind of that in that initial phase, right, maybe two to four weeks of, of lighter load, higher repetition, 15, 20, 20 reps, is that we're able to perform those movements, right? Those big movements, the hinge, the squat, the bench press, the pull, um, maybe some rotation and counter-rotation exercises. But we, because we don't have such a, a high load to bear under, we can perform those movements more fluidly, more efficiently, and more correctly. Because what we don't want to do is say, oh, I'm going to go into strength training program, and we establish movement patterns that aren't great that maybe over time end up increasing our risk for injury. Um, and so if we can establish those good movements, right, we teach our body the range of motions, um, we teach our body how to activate the muscles, we teach our body those patterns while we're still lifting some weight and having that effect, but really getting those movements in, I think will be much, much better in the long run. And so, um, uh, and then the other thing that I wanted to, to speak to, right, again, is that muscle soreness. President hit it exactly right, right? Like, it might pull you back a little bit, but eventually we get used to it. We call that the repeated bout effect. So eventually that post-exercise muscle soreness um, begins to go away, right? Our muscles adapt. They're basically like pre-primed for the loads that we're going to put them through when we've taught them that we're going to do those regular exercises. And so that begins to be less and less of a contribution over time. Um, and so all reasons to... Um, include and not neglect a strength training program. One of the last things that I want to hit on, at least with the strength training is concerned, is the rate at which we're changing up the exercise that we're doing within the training program. Um, obviously, you need to do each workout long enough, and we're talking time over weeks here, um, to be able to get the correct adaptations from that exercise. Um, but then you have to also change it out recent enough or um often enough right often yeah. enough yeah, I know, I, yeah, yeah i got what you're saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. um that uh you're not settling for that same um yes. losing the word <laughs> just the um, same it, stimulus yeah same stimulus that's stimulus. the word i was looking for the same stimulus is uh you were doing before because obviously doing the same thing over and over your body will stop um growing if you're doing the same exercise um week in and week out yeah um Typically, what I've done in my training, and this isn't like a scientific number, is kind of just what I've I've found works for me, is I've done about a six-week um, block of each exercise. And it doesn't mean like when you switch those out, you're doing, you're completely neglecting that muscle. You're really finding a different way to be able to work that muscle. So if you were doing single leg deadlifts, maybe switch to um, just a regular deadlift where you can maybe put some more weight on it than normal or... Um, maybe one of the machines in the gym where you can work on that, um, contraction of the knee as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for bringing that up. So that really falls into, into the idea of periodization as a whole, right? We have to, um, yeah, we have to give enough for our body to adapt, but we have to be changing that to basically like surprise our body because our, 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 bodies just kind of want to like regress to this mean right like mm -hmm. this comfortable place okay i can do this i'm good don't throw anything new at me right 
Um, but being able to add in those stressors is super important in terms of long-term adaptations and continuing to improve over time instead of just plateauing. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, thank you for bringing that up. That is like a super important uh, component. And I think that's a hard thing. Um, you, you know, it gets thrown like, okay, yeah, do a strength training program. And all the focus gets on that and we don't necessarily get those other aspects of like, yes, do that, but also like add in this and, you know, sometimes we're going to increase the load. Sometimes we're going to drop it back down a little bit to, you know, change for, to allow for more recovery. And so really, I think that points the, to like, you know, not necessarily saying you have to go out and, and get a, get a coach or get a personal trainer or, et cetera, et cetera. But at least being able to talk to or through your training plan with someone that maybe has a little bit more experience um, and making sure that that experience is grounded in science because um, there's a lot of training ideas out there that really don't bear out in the research. Um, but but the idea of, of being able to talk to someone that knows a little bit more about these things so that you can build an ideal program um, for yourself and, and be able to kind of move past a lot of the pitfalls people fall into. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a plug in for a project that we've all been working on here that should be released uh, here in the near future. Yeah. Um, a, a strength training plan. We put together some videos that have all the different exercises that we see as um, super beneficial to utilize as a runner. Um, and as we were talking about, you know, with this changing of your program as things go, you know, there's, there's, Really, we did four separate videos there. Yeah. Um, each of them are about 30 minutes long of just different exercises. And so there's different ways that you can um, change the lifts you do and keep it fresh, keep it exciting. Um, so you're not not only like getting the physical benefits, but uh, that mental um, doing something <laughs> different. Not to do the same thing every day, day in, day out. Definitely, definitely. And the nice thing about that program as well is that it, it allows the the opportunity to add load or take away load, right? Like it's a really great way to accustom your body to some of these movements. And then many of those exercises we can, we can load and accomplish the benefits that we're, we're looking to get in terms of general strength. So yeah, definitely. We'll, uh, we'll keep you updated on, on how that process is going, but it should be coming out pretty soon. So beautiful. Thank you guys. Well, time is running out here. So let's jump into our questions and we'll wrap things up. So one of the questions we had is in chapter six, they mentioned stride length a few times. And one of our viewers was wondering, is it better to have a short stride length or a long stride length? Yeah, I think I can, I can uh, at least start us off on this one. Um, And so there's a huge misconception here um, with having a longer stride and we like, oh, like with each stride, I'm covering more ground. Um, and yes, that's true. But how much energy are you using to be able to have this longer stride? Um, and so if you're looking at like a, a force graph, the amount of force that uh, is put through your legs when you're having a longer stride, um, there's two peaks to that graph. Um, it peaks one when you hit out in front of you. Um, typically it would be a hill strike. Um, it's really hard to land on your toes if you're two feet out in front of you. Um, True. And so there's the force of that ground coming back at you. And if you think about this, this idea of for every force, there's a equal and opposite reaction. If you're out in front of you pushing in this direction, the ground's going to be pushing you backwards. Um, so there's a lot of force you have to overcome to overcome that uh, being pushed in that opposite direction. Um, and then as far as like the amount of force that your legs are absorbing, there's a lot more because you have this super um, steep incline in this graph of like how much force is being put through your legs. And then it quickly drops back down and then quickly goes back up. And that, uh, that impulse force of how fast that force is applied is really can be dangerous as far as like injury rate. Um, and so in my mind, you know, having a shorter stride, the magic number kind of thrown out there is 180 steps per minute, which is really fast. It's something that, uh, likely you'll have to work towards. A lot of people are not near that number, but, uh, working on that over time is really important. Will allow us to, have a more gradual onset of the force that uh, is put onto our legs as we're running, as well as allow us to be more efficient and have better running economy. Yeah, I think that's that's great. Um, 
I like bringing in the ground reaction force because I think that's an, an important thing to talk about, right? Having to, to overcome that. Um, another thing, same thing we, we see with people that tend to get shin splints. Um, often it's it's kind of an overstriding. Because again, in terms of, of, of impact force and, and what the muscles are having to do is when you hit higher out in front of you, um, the... the um, your tibialis anterior has to um, has to slow the rate that your foot hits the ground, right? And so when you stride out and you hit with that more of a, a hill strike, it's going to have to slow that. Uh, it's just going to demand more of that muscle in doing that versus when you're hitting slow or you're you're doing shorter strides closer to the body. Um, and definitely in terms of like energy demand and impact. Um, I guess one thing that I would say to to this point. Um, is all those things are true, but it also depends. So typically, I would not mess with someone's stride rate, like their cadence, unless it's like significantly impacting them, right? Unless they're saying like, hey, you know, my knee's really been bothering me or my shins have really been bothering me, right? Like, I think messing with someone's form can often be a lot more counterproductive than it is helpful um, unless there's certain circumstances that might, uh, you know, call to retooling that a little bit. But that being said, I, I think that that's something that anyone can try, right? 180 is kind of that magic number, but, you know, it's going to be a lot different for someone that's has really like long legs reaching that versus someone short. And so I think even if you're not necessarily going up there, just trying maybe like a 5 to 10% change in your running cadence, right? So if you're running at 150 steps per minute, you're adding, you're going to 165 steps per minute, right? Or, or maybe like a little bit less, maybe 155, but just, you can try that out and see how you feel after doing that. Um, making big jumps in, in that, right? If you're going from like 150 to 180, that is going to be a lot for your bottle handling, right? Like the energetic of cost of running is going to change a lot. And so that's something to try a little bit more gradually. Lastly, to that point, I would say it depends on your running because if you're a sprinter, your strides are just going to be longer and you're going to try to get that power grip when you hit the ground to be able to pull off and get that next cycle. Um, and so that's going to be different than the goals of, of running. And also you're just doing that over a shorter period of time than you are distance running. And so the metabolic impact of that or the metabolic cost and impact of that is, is much less. And so really to be able to maintain efficiency, to preserve uh, your energy throughout a, a distance race, I think it, it speaks to having those shorter stride lengths. Beautiful. Well, there's your answer. It depends on a lot of things. <laughs> it's not always the answer. It depends. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> I want a straight answer. <laughs> really <know>. helpful. <laughs> but it's true. It does depend. Well, thank you guys. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up here? I think we, we hit a lot of good no, stuff. No. This is an awesome yeah. episode. I'm excited to go back and listen to it again. Yes, I know. We should just like start pulling out those Preston sound bites that are awesome and just like. <laughs> I know. I think we all just think that about each other. We hear <laughs> yeah, things maybe. that someone else says and it's like, oh yeah, oh, that, no, that would be so awesome. Good. Yeah. How did I not think of that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, well, if you have any questions about this podcast or about the reading, go ahead and comment below or send us a message through our Facebook page, Body Smart PT, or through our website, bodysmartutah.com. And remember that this is. A podcast now available on all podcasting platforms. Woohoo! We post a new episode every Monday. Yes. Quick shout out to our sponsors. Preston was just waiting for it. He's like, Where's was, my shout out? I was about to roll out the side of the camera. <laughs> yeah, and then never come back. Yeah. Um, so, quick shout out to our sponsors. Shout out to the Utah Running Shop. Shout out to the Oak Ridge Stansbury Trail Series by Jimmy Thomas. Shout out to the Wasatch Run Club. Oh, yeah, Wasatch Run Club. Check us out on Facebook or on our website, wasatchrunclub.com. Just a group of people that loves to meet together, run, have fun, share stories about our running adventures, and uh, a lot of resources on our website as well um, to help you with your training. Awesome. Remember to like, subscribe, and share this with all your running buddies, and we'll see you guys next Monday.